I'd like you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of Daniel. Of all the prophets, Daniel is unique in several ways. He's unique in that he wasn't a full-time prophet. He moonlighted it as a prophet. He was a high-ranking government leader for 70 years. He was unique in that he was the most educated prophet. In fact, he was probably the most educated man in the Old Testament, with the possible exception of Moses and Solomon. He was unique in that he had the most comprehensive prophecy. He not only spelled out what would happen to Israel, he spelled out what would happen to the Gentile nations, not only in the near future, but in the far future. And he was unique in that he had the most personal experiences of any prophet. And that's borne out in chapter 1. We can divide the first chapter into three parts, the conditions, the convictions, and the consequences. The conditions we saw last week in verses 1 to 7. The political condition is given to us in verse 1. It says the king of Babylon came against Judah and God gave them into his hand. Politically, this is the beginning of the 70-year captivity of Judah which God had prophesied. The spiritual condition is that Judah as a nation was far away from God and they had fallen into idolatry and that's the reason God raised up the Babylonians at this point in time. And just to underline that, we read in verse 2 that Nebuchadnezzar came in and defiled the vessels of the house of God and placed them in the house of his God. And then the personal condition is given to us in these remaining verses, in verses 1 to 7. The king of Babylon brought the best-looking, most intelligent, most able young men with the best bloodlines to Babylon, and Daniel was one of these young men. He's about 14 years of old years old at this point in time and he experiences a drastic change in his life. He gets a new home according to verse 3, 900 miles from his parents in Babylon, that idolatrous heathen nation, the place in scripture most associated with organized false religion. It's the place where it began in Genesis chapter 11 with the tower of Babylon, and it's the place where it will culminate in Revelation chapter 7 with a worldwide religion referred to as Mystery Babylon. They got a new education, according to verse 4, being taught the Babylonian language, literature, and philosophy. They got a new diet, according to verse 5. He was to eat the choice food and wine from the king's table. He's used to eating lamb chops, now he's seeing pork chops. And he gets a new name, according to verse 7. He and his three friends get a name associated with the Babylonian deities. And so Daniel gets a new home, a new education, a new diet, and a new name. It's pretty challenging for a 14-year-old. He's got the king of Babylon not just trying to educate him, but to brainwash him. The goal is that he will look like a Jew, but think like a Babylonian. And things have not changed a whole lot in 2,500 years because we live in a society that is still determined to brainwash us so that we look like Christians but think like humanists. And particularly, it aims its influence at our young people. Alan Bloom, a professor at the University of Chicago, described the prevalent thinking among American university students this way. There is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. Relativism is necessary to open-mindedness, and this is the virtue 
the only virtue which all primary education for more than 50 years has dedicated itself to inculcating. Openness and the relativism that makes it the only plausible stance in the face of various claims to truth and various ways of life and kinds of human beings is the great insight of our times. The point is not to correct the mistakes and really be right. Rather, it is not to think you are right at all. Now, that's insightful because that is really the message of our day. It is virtuous today to say, I feel strongly both ways. Someone shared with me this morning that uh, Charles Colson at the uh, Promise Keepers weekend said that the most prominent word in America today is whatever. Whatever. We're open-minded. Whatever. It's okay. Where does open-mindedness lead us? Well, it leads us to no absolutes, no right and wrong, no ultimate truth. That's the philosophy we face today. And how do we deal with it? How do we live in Babylon without being Babylonianized? Well, that's the next section of chapter 1, the convictions in verses 8 to 13. The thing that made Daniel and his three friends different from the other teenagers who came to Babylon is that they had convictions. Daniel said, I'll go to your school, I'll take your name change, but I will not eat your food. Why not? Because the scriptures prohibited it. It was against the dietary laws. Now, the dietary laws were not given because some food was better than other food, or otherwise God would not have dropped the dietary laws in the New Testament. The dietary laws were given to keep Israel separate from the Gentile nations around them. And not only did this break the dietary laws, but it also broke the prohibition in Scripture against idolatry. Because they took these animals and they sacrificed them to the pagan gods, then they cooked them and served them to the king. And so Daniel drew the line where Scripture draws the line. He had convictions. And that's refreshing to read in a day when compromise is the norm. And we're especially reminded of that as we approach an election because most politicians are skilled in the art of compromise. They check the polls before they decide what their position is. I believe whatever 51% or more of the people believe. Someone has said that compromise is the art of dividing a cake in such a way that everybody believes he got the biggest piece. Daniel was a politician in the 6th century B.C., and he was a man of convictions. And in verses 8 to 13, I want to pick out seven things we learn from his convictions. Number one, convictions must precede actions. Verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. Before they ever set a meal in front of Daniel, Daniel made up his mind. He knew what the scriptures said. He was committed to what the scripture says, but now he takes it a step further and he takes it out of the general into the specific, out of the theoretical into the practical, out of his mind into his heart. Literally, it says here, he purposed in his heart. See, that's conviction. I'm sure that all of these other young people from Judah 
also knew what the Scripture said. I'm sure if you asked them, they would say, I believe that. I'm sure they could pass a test in the Old Testament dietary laws, and they could probably say, we have never eaten any food that disobeys those laws. Why? Because back in Judah, there was no pressure to do so. And back in Judah, they were living in homes under the convictions of their parents. But now they're out on their own with their own convictions, and the pressure is to disobey. And only four out of 75 take a stand on the truth of God's Word. And those four had convictions because they defined them ahead of time. They preceded their actions. See, Daniel didn't wait till he was in this situation and then say, I wonder what I should do. I've never really thought about why we don't eat pork. And it looks pretty good. And it smells pretty good. And everybody else is doing it. You see, convictions require that I establish them first before I act. You can't have convictions on the fly. You can't wait till you're in the middle of a temptation and then decide what your position is because at that point, it's too late. The day to set your convictions is the first day at college. It's the first day at that new school. It's the first day at that new job. It's before you face those tough decisions because convictions have to precede actions. Some people say they believe the Bible, but they stay in churches that don't teach it. Some people say they want to deal with a certain sin in their life, but they continue to establish an environment that cultivates it. Some people say they want to put Christ first in their lives, but he remains the very last priority. Why? Because they have never, like Daniel, taken it from their mind to their heart. And until they do, it's not convictions. You see, convictions must precede actions. Second lesson we learn is that convictions require boldness. Notice the end of verse 8. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Daniel goes to the commander of the officials and he says, Ashpenaz, I do not wish to eat the king's food because it will defile me. Now that's bold. He doesn't say, yeah, you know, I've got a little bit of a stomach ache. And uh, I I'm not sure I can eat this spicy food. I may be getting an ulcer. You know, sometimes we have convictions, but we hem-haw around about why we have convictions. Somebody says, I want you to go here and do that, and you say, we don't say, I'm a Christian, and that's wrong, and I can't do it. What we often say is, well, I'd love to, but I'm busy right now. I'd love to, but i got a test tomorrow. You see, we don't always spell out the spiritual reason. Daniel does. He says to him, I can't eat the king's food because it will defile me. And that's a strong word. That means it will make me unclean. I can't eat what you're eating because it's sin. That's bold. 
heard about some young people who walked into a high school class that was taught by a godless professor. And in his first lecture, he said, will all of you who believe the myths of the Bible please stand up? And several students stood. And then he added, now this semester, I'm going to free you from this religious Bible nonsense. I have read the entire Bible, and it's certainly written by a bunch of mixed-up men. And one young Daniel spoke up and said, Sir, the Bible is God's letter to Christians. And if you are confused, it's because you're reading somebody else's mail. (laughs) See, that's boldness, and convictions require that. You make convictions in your closet, but they can't stay there. They have to be lived out in the choices of my life. And that requires boldness. Third lesson. Convictions bring blessing. Notice verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. When we purpose in our heart to draw the line where God does, he steps in and blesses. You see, Ashpenaz didn't like Daniel just because he had virtue and just because he was kind and just because he was a likable guy. You have to understand the the sequence here. It doesn't say that he liked Daniel, therefore Daniel purposed in his heart. It says Daniel purposed in his heart, boldly stepped out, then God entered the scene and blessed him. You see, it's only when we have convictions that we will stand on that God is able to bless us. And the opposite is true as well. When we compromise, we lose. Adam compromised God's law, fell in with the sin of his wife, and he lost paradise. Abraham compromised God's promise and had a child with Sarah's servant, Hagar. And we have lost peace in the Middle East. Esau compromised for a meal with Jacob and lost his birthright. Aaron compromised his convictions about idolatry, and he lost the privilege to see the promised land. Samson compromised his vow as a Nazarite and lost his hair, his strength, his eyes, and his life. David compromised the moral standard of God and committed adultery, and he lost his child. Ananias and Sapphira compromised their honesty and lost their lives. Judas compromised his supposed devotion to Christ for 30 pieces of silver, and he lost his eternal soul. When we compromise, we lose. And the irony is that when we compromise, we're usually telling ourselves, if I don't compromise, I'm going to lose. The truth is that we lose because we compromise. When we don't compromise, when we have the convictions that take a stand, God is able to step in and bless us. Fourth lesson, convictions are non-negotiable. Verse 10, and the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. Ashpenaz says, I like you a lot. You're a terrific guy. But if I do this, then after three years, you're looking weak and skinny and frail, and I'll lose my head. Now, what's he saying? 
Drop the subject because the stakes are too high. Drop the subject because the risks are too great. And Daniel's got to be thinking, if this guy who's in the administration is going to lose his head, what's going to happen to me? But you see, that doesn't deter Daniel because convictions are not based on a sliding scale. Convictions are convictions no matter what the stakes are. A rich man once asked a woman, would you sleep for me for a million dollars? And she said, a million dollars is a lot of money. I probably would. He said, well, would you sleep with me for $10? And she said, well, what kind of woman do you think I am? And he said, we've already established that. We're just negotiating the price. What's your price? At what price would you sacrifice your convictions to the Lord? You see, it doesn't matter if the stakes are high or the stakes are low when you have convictions because convictions are purposed in your heart and don't slide along depending on the stakes, depending on the cost, depending on the price. Convictions are non-negotiable. Fifth lesson. Convictions require persistence. In verse 10, Ashpenaz says, Sorry, I can't help you. The stakes are too high. And Daniel might have said, Well, what more can I do? I've been to the head honcho, and he said no. Notice verse 11. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Ashpenaz divided these boys into small groups and by coincidence he happened to put Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah in the same group and they had an overseer over them. Aspenaz said no so Daniel went to a lower court. He goes to this overseer and makes request of him. You see he never gives up. People sometimes say I know this is wrong but I tried to get out of it and this is my only option. Well, Daniel could have said, I've tried my best past the pork steaks. But you see, a person who has convictions will find a second door when the first door closes. Convictions require perseverance. We can be real creative when we sin. Somehow we lose creativity when it comes time to obey. Daniel got creative here and he came up with an alternative. Sixth lesson. Convictions don't necessitate rudeness. Some people seem to have the idea that in order to have convictions, you've got to be screaming at somebody. I read about a pastor who, who in the places in his sermon where there wasn't much content, he would write in there, yell louder and pound on the pulpit. You know, like if, if I scream louder, then that means I really have convictions. Well, here's Daniel, a man of conviction. He doesn't get rebellious. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get testy. He doesn't get mouthy. He's got strong convictions, and yet he's gracious and polite. Verse 12 in my version begins with the word 
please. That's polite. That word can be translated, I beg you. What Daniel is doing is that he is taking a submissive posture. When your teacher gives you an assignment to read a book that is against your conscience, you don't have to tear up the book in front of the teacher. You can politely suggest an alternative. Convictions don't necessitate rudeness. Seventh lesson. Convictions require faith. Verse 12. Please test your servants for ten days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Daniel says, test us for ten days. We will eat vegetables and water while the other boys eat the food from the king's table. And after ten days, you compare, and if we're scrawnier, then you can scrap the program. And if we're healthier, then you can keep it up. Now, that's a pretty strange test. The other teenagers are going to be eating Chateaubriand. Daniel and his friends are going to be eating broccoli and carrots and peas. Uh, and, and Daniel is anticipating that in 10 days, his crew is going to be looking better. Now, what is that? That's faith. He sets up a scenario that from a human standpoint can't happen because Daniel is counting on divine intervention. And I like that. When he runs out of options, he doesn't decide to cheat the system. He doesn't say, well, I'll sit down to the king's food and I'll take it and feed it to the dog under the table. No, when he runs out of options, he depends on God. In fact, he puts himself in a situation where he has to depend on God because if God doesn't intervene, he's in trouble. So Daniel had convictions. And we learn from his convictions that they have to be established ahead of time. They bring the blessings of God. They require boldness. They require persistence. And they require faith. They don't necessitate rudeness. And they are non-negotiable. Which brings us to the third division of this chapter, and that is the consequences. In verses 14 to 21. Daniel stood by his convictions, and the consequences are really very simple. God blesses in four ways, physically, intellectually, spiritually, and socially. First of all, God blesses physically in verses 14 to 16. It says, So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Now, when it says they were fatter, it doesn't mean their jowls were hanging down. It means they were, they were fleshier. They, they had more muscle on them. Verse 16, So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Now, I'm sure the vegetarians in here are cheering. Now, this has nothing to do with the food. You can't eat vegetables for 10 days while somebody else eats a full diet, including meat, and be stronger. And you certainly can't do that after only 10 days. What happened here was that God intervened and blessed the faith of Daniel physically. 
And then he blessed a second way, and that was intellectually. Verse 17 says, And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Now that's novel. They put God first, and they got better grades. What do you think about that? They put God first, and they got better grades. He blessed them intellectually because they had convictions for him. Third way he blessed was spiritually. The end of verse 17 says, Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Now, it doesn't say this about all four of them because this was something particularly given to Daniel. He had a spiritual gift, and that spiritual gift was prophecy. And we're going to see that played out in the rest of the book of Daniel. He could understand visions, that's what would happen when you were awake, and dreams, that's what happened when you were asleep. He would interpret those. And we're going to learn some of those interpretations in this book. And then God blessed a fourth way, and that was socially. Verse 18, Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. After three years, they were presented to the king. Verse 19, And the king talked with them, and most, and out of, out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's personal service. After three years, they were brought before the king, and the king gave them their final exam. And they passed at the top of their class. They graduated summa cum laude. And so they entered the king's personal service. Now, I like that. They refused to compromise. They refused to play politics. And God elevated them to the top. In fact, notice what it says in verse 20. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. That's pretty good for 17-year-olds. They were ten times better than anybody in his personal cabinet. They shined. And then he adds this verse in verse 21. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. And I think he adds that so we'll understand that Daniel was no flash in the pan. Daniel lived in this environment for over 70 years. Now, if you read verse 21, the assumption is that Daniel must have died in the first year of Cyrus, the king, but he didn't. If you look at chapter 10 of Daniel, it says that he was prophesying in the third year of Cyrus, the king. So why does he mention the first year of Cyrus, the king? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. Number one, because he wanted to let us know that Daniel lived throughout four administrations. Nebuchadnezzar came and went, Belshazzar came and went, Darius, and then Cyrus. And Daniel was still around. But there's another reason, because in the first year of Cyrus, we're told in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1, is the year when he made a decree to send back the people of Israel to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, which tells us that Daniel lived in Babylon throughout the entire 70-year captivity. And that's his point. Daniel lived his entire life in a culture that was utterly pagan. And yet he is one among only three men in the Old Testament about whom we have no report of wrongdoing. The other two are Joseph and Jonathan. 
In fact, in chapter 6 of Daniel, we read that his enemies tried to find a weak link in his character so that they could report it to the Babylonian National Enquirer. And they couldn't find a thing. They scrutinized his life for 50 years and they couldn't find one negative thing to say about Daniel. From teenager to senior citizen, Daniel had a constant testimony for God. And it all started that first day in Babylon when he took what he knew in his mind and purposed it in his heart. It all happened because Daniel was a man of conviction. 